So let's pray and ask God to meet us in his word this morning. What an honor, what a privilege, what a beautiful gift you've given us, Lord, to open up the words of God and to read and to learn about you and all you've done for us in Christ and the life you have for us. We tremble before this book, Lord. We love your word. And I pray that now you would unleash its power in each of our lives. We all need to hear your word this morning. We all have areas of our lives where we are not in conformity to your truth. We want to hear. We want to learn. We need your power to help us understand and to make our hearts love your word, even when it crosses our wills. So would you come now? Help me, Lord, to be clear and in accord with the truth of the scriptures and help all of us to have open and receptive hearts to your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 2. And if you need a Bible, as we always say, raise your hand. We want to bring one to you so that you can look along with us as we study. Philippians chapter 2, verses 2 through 13. By the way, the scripture passage that's on the top of your teaching insert is wrong. I didn't, I forgot to revise that one. So it's Philippians 2, 12 and 13 is what we're studying this morning. And that's on page 981 in the Bibles that we're passing out. Now to put today's passage in context, let me tell the story a little bit about the church at Philippi. This church started off well. Paul came, preached, many came to faith. The church started off very well. They were bold and fearless in evangelism, regardless of persecution. And they loved each other with humble, sacrificial, Christ-centered love. But then Paul left, went on to some other church planning situations, and over time, some in that church started to become fearful of persecution and became timid in their witness, pulled back in their boldness. And some stopped humbly, sacrificially loving each other, started pursuing their own interests, and cliques and divisions started to form. And so what we've seen so far in this book, up to this chapter 2, verse 12, is that Paul has been emphasizing two things they need to work on. One, in chapter 1, verse 28, don't be afraid of those who are causing you persecution. Don't fear them. Be bold in your witness. And then in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, Return to humble, sacrificial love for each other where you put each other first for Christ's sake and you serve and you care for each other. So that's what Paul has been saying up to this point in chapter 2. But the problem is, at this point, I think, in Paul's letter, right about Philippians 2, verse 11, Paul knows that we all struggle with the thought of us actually being able to obey what, what God tells us to do in his word. Paul knew that his readers would be struggling and... Many of us might be struggling. We, we all can come up with reasons and excuses why we, we aren't able to do what God calls us to do. Some of the ones I thought of, we're thinking about bold evangelism and humble sacrificial love for others, but I, I'm sure some of you are thinking, well, I'm just too shy to invite a neighbor over for dinner, to show them love, and to pray that God will open a door for sharing the gospel. That's an excuse we can bring up thinking, I, I can't do bold evangelism. I've got some, I'm just too shy for that. Or somebody else might say, I just don't know enough theology or enough of the Bible to be able to, to share the gospel effectively with someone else. 
Or I could see someone saying, I'm just I'm under too much stress to really love my wife. Or if it's a wife, I'm under too much stress to really love my husband. Or I can see a man after a long day of work saying, I'm just too tired to go home and, and love and play with and care for my kids tonight. Or, or I could see somebody saying, this person in the home group has just hurt me too much to really love them. Or I could see someone saying, I'm just too busy with my life to really give myself to a group of believers where I love them and serve them and we bear each other's burdens and we pray for each other. And so can you understand how we all can come up with reasons and excuses for why we think we can't do what God's calling us to do? Yeah, okay, thank you. Yes, anybody else? Okay, we all do this. And, and what I think Paul is doing in verses 12 and 13 is addressing that issue. Paul wants to destroy all of our excuses in verses 2 through 13. So you got your favorite excuses, okay? Get ready to say goodbye to them. Mwah, goodbye, you know. Okay, no more excuses because Paul's plan in verses 12 and 13 is to destroy every excuse, every reason why we think we can't do what God's calling us to do. Look at what he says. Verse 12. Therefore, my beloved. I love how Paul talks that way all the time. Okay, he loves people. He's always saying, I love you, you're a beloved So don't just whip through that that phrase. Let that, just savor that a little bit. Let that linger. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, that is, you did this when I was there with you, keep doing it now that I'm gone, is what he's saying. And then here's what he's telling them to do. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. What does it mean to work out your salvation? That's the main command here. Work out your own salvation, Paul says. What does that mean? As I read verse 12 again and again this last week, I think I saw what it says. See if you see what I saw. Read verse 12 again. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. As you've always obeyed, now work out your salvation. So working out your own salvation simply means obeying Jesus Christ. That's what he's calling them and us to do. So when you invite a work associate out for lunch in order to love this man, get to know him, share the gospel with him, you are working out your own salvation. When you call up a brother in your home group who's just recently had a job interview because you've been praying for him and you call up and say, how's it going? What'd the Lord do? When you're showing love and care, you are working out your own salvation. When we obey Jesus Christ, Paul says we are working out our salvation. And we don't usually talk that way. I doubt any of you have said this last week, I worked out my salvation today. Anybody say that? Okay. Well, we want to be thinking Paul's thoughts after him and having our thinking and our talking be in in sync with the scripture. So I hope that after today, maybe that vocabulary will start to become part of our church culture. How is obeying Christ working out your own salvation? It's because salvation doesn't just mean being forgiven for your sins, as crucial as that is. Can't overemphasize that. That's massively important, okay? 
But that's not all that it is. Salvation is being forgiven, but salvation also means being transformed. Salvation does mean that God, through Christ, has had all of your sins, past, present, and future, be paid for, so you will never again face condemnation. Never. Beautiful work of forgiveness through Christ. But salvation also means that God wants to bring his power upon you so that you are set free from sin's ugly power and transformed into a beautifully Christ-centered, humble, sacrificially loving, risk-taking, God-glorifying man or woman or junior hire or young person. Forgiveness, yes, but transformation into a beautifully Christ-centered person. That's what salvation is. And so when you take steps of obedience, you are becoming transformed, and in that way you're working out your own salvation. So with that in mind, read verse 12 again. Therefore, my beloved... As you've always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Fear and trembling. So Paul doesn't just say, work out your own salvation. He commands us to work out our salvation a certain way, with fear and trembling. That's how we should be obeying with fear and trembling. Now, what does that mean? I thought of an illustration, which I I hope will help you see what it does mean and what it does not mean. Okay, picture yourself standing on the brink of a a canyon. It goes 10,000 feet down, almost two miles down. And you're on this edge of the canyon, and then over the other side, there's there's the other edge of the canyon, that's heaven. Okay? The joy of knowing God in the person of Jesus Christ, face to face, worshiping him, loving him, knowing him, with all the redeemed forever, that's across the canyon. But between you on the edge and heaven on the other edge, there's this 10,000 foot deep canyon, and at the bottom of this canyon are the rocks of God's judgment. Okay? Now there's good news. Stretching over this canyon is the permanently secure, unbreakable, unchangeable rope bridge of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ gets you from here over God's judgment to knowing God, beholding him in Christ forever. And the way that you can get on the rope bridge of Jesus Christ is by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Not by trying to be good enough. It's not if you go to church ten times, then you're like on the first rung of the, of the step, whatever. No. It's not by being good enough. None of us can be good enough. There's only one way. We cast ourselves on his mercy. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I need your grace. All I bring to the table is my sin. Save me, forgive me, change me. I turn from whatever else I was trusting to satisfy me. I turn to your holy son, Jesus. Forgive me through Christ. Change my heart through Christ. Satisfy me in Christ. I trust you. Boom, you're on the bridge. Just like that. You are now on that rock-solid, permanently secure bridge. Heading towards heaven. Now, because you trust Jesus, you also trust his commands. Right? You can't say, well, I trust the saving part. I don't trust your commanding part. That's not trust. We trust his commands. 
And so we take steps on this bridge. Bold evangelism. Loving, humbly loving our brothers and sisters. Okay, so we're, we're taking these steps. Now, can you feel, can, put yourself there, can you feel as you are walking on this rope bridge, working out your salvation, taking steps, relying on his grace, we're not sinning, I mean, we're not living perfectly, we, we do trip and stumble, but we get back up, so it's not that we're perfect, but we are, we are trusting him, we're asking him to forgive us when we sin, we're taking steps, but can you feel how from moment to moment you might look over the edge or, or through the, yeah, it's, it's not, you can easily see the bottom there, Okay? And can you see, think of how you might have some fear and trembling over what Christ is saving you from? Anybody been to Half Dome and, and leaned over the side to look down? Anybody look with fear and trembling? Okay? Right? It's not that you, you thought you were going to fall because <laughs> you were holding on to something. You were making very sure. But So if you're on that rope bridge and you're looking down, you'd have some fear and trembling. Jesus, you saved me from that. Thank you. So there'd be some fear and trembling over what he has saved you from. I think there would also be some fear and trembling over, I'm not jumping off this rope bridge. I'm staying right here. This is encouraging me to just keep walking on this bridge because look at what's down there. If I'm off this bridge, I'm heading down there. No way. And so that's what it means to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You're keenly aware of what Jesus is saving you from. And you are deeply motivated to stay clinging to him by faith alone on that rope bridge because you don't want to be going down to those rocks of judgments. Can you see how that would be fear and trembling? That's how we should be working out our salvation. Because it, it, that all motivates you to stay on the bridge. I'm staying on the bridge. Staying on the bridge. Now, the problem, though, is that Paul knows that that could be misunderstood. It's one thing to fear, to have fear and trembling over, wow, look at what I'm saved from. That would be a horrible thing. And I'm going to hang on to this bridge because I'm not going to be going over the side. But you could think fear and trembling means that you should fear that you may not make it. You could think fear and trembling means I may not be strong enough to go all the way to the end. I might face some temptations that make me jump off the rope bridge. I might face some trials that so discourage me that I'm, I'm undone spiritually. And you could think that you were supposed to be fearful and trembling that we may not make it. That's not what Paul means at all by fear and trembling. And the reason we know that is because of what he says in verse 13. Look at verse 13. Read verses 12 and 13 together. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for... It is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, what does it mean that God works in us? What does that mean? This is a beautiful promise, passage, truth. Oh, I hope you'll get this. I hope you'll feel this. I hope this coming week you'll be feeding on this and delighting in this and trusting in this and getting strength from this. That's exactly why Paul tells us this. Read it again, verse 13. It is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So when you obey, when you take a step of obedience to the Lord, okay, you did that work. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You did that work. But God caused you to do it. 
How's it going to blow some of your minds? Okay, tilts. Okay, we, how can that be? How can we actually choose to, to obey God? So we're choosing. It's our own choices. It's real. It's authentic. It's genuine human choice. We're not robots, right? Absolutely. We choose. And God caused you to choose. How can both those be true? I don't know. Okay? But that's what the Bible teaches again and again and again. This is a crucial paradigm for you to understand because so much of Scripture shows both of these truths right next to each other with no contradiction, no problem. Throughout church history, people have tended to emphasize one to the neglect of the other or the other to the neglect of the one, but they're both in the Bible. We need to hold both. So when you take a step of obedience, you took that step. Let's say, for example, there's someone in your home group who has hurt you. Okay, And when you prayerfully, by faith in Jesus Christ, ask God to help you and open up the scriptures and pray over the scriptures until your heart's changed, you're filled with the Lord and mercy so that you're able to forgive this brother, you did all of that. You did it. And God caused you to do it. Both are true. Now, don't get the wrong idea, because we, we could think, and, and some groups through church history have thought, okay, so if God causes me to will and to work for his good pleasure, then true holiness would mean being passive and doing nothing until God causes me to do something. It's not what Paul says. In verse 12, he does not say, wait for God to make you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Did you, did you see that anywhere there? Does he say, wait for God to do it? I didn't see that in my Bible. Did you see that in your Bible? Okay, it's not in any of our Bibles. If it is, Got the wrong Bible, okay? It's not what any of these verses say. What Paul says in verse 12 is, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Take steps of obedience by faith, trusting in his grace, trusting him to empower you, trusting him to help you. Yes, all that, but you've got to take the steps. Why? Because it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for your good pleasure. Okay, let's, let's take a concrete example. Someone in the home group who's hurt you and you don't want to forgive them, but, but you, you know what the scriptures teach. You know, Jesus says, forgive as I have forgiven you. And so you, you pray, help me, Father, for Jesus' sake, change my heart. You open up the Bible. Lord, help me to see you more clearly so that I'm so satisfied in you that the hurt they've caused me is, is compensated for, is covered, and so I'm filled again. And so show me your mercy that I, 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 I understand that I am no one who should be around showing revenge to people for wrongs they've done because I'm a total recipient of your mercy. So you are thinking, praying, pondering, meditating, and your heart changes, and then you forgive. You choose to forgive that person. Now see, that's you doing, you doing, you doing, you doing, you doing, right? You're not passive anyway. You're, you're doing, 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 doing. But God has caused you to do this, do this, do this, do this, and do this. That's what Paul's teaching here. So how many of, of us are ever having our brains stretched a little bit by verses 12 and 13 this morning? Okay? All right. And the rest of you, you're still in shock. You can't raise your hand yet. You're, you're still stunned. All right. Now, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? Let me give you two implications, and then we're going to move into the baptisms and celebrate what God's done in these young people. But let me give you two crucial implications, which I hope will feed your soul this week and strengthen your obedience this week. 
The first is that because by faith alone you are on the rope bridge, you don't need to fear falling off. You don't need to fear not making it to the end. Because God will work in you. Remember Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. The good work, Paul says, that God has started in you, God will continue until the day of Christ Jesus. So verse 13, that God works in us, one implication of that is, that means he will keep, if you're on the bridge, okay, not that you're perfect today, it's not how you know, but you look at your heart, you're trusting Jesus, you're confessing known sin, you're submitting your life to him, you're asking for his help, so that's, that's you, so that's how you know you're on the bridge. If you're on the bridge right now, then you can know that verse 13 is going to be true for you. He will keep working his will in you all the way to the end. That means you will not face a temptation that's going to knock you permanently off the bridge. You may face some temptations that make you stumble a little bit. Help! He's right there. Help. Help comes, okay? You might face a trial that makes you fall flat on your face with just despair and weakness and I can't go on. Help me, Father. Verse 13, God works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He will help you. So you'll face plenty of things that are too much for you. Don't misunderstand me. It's not that you've become the Superman spiritually all of a sudden. No, you're just as weak as you've always been. Okay? But if you're on the bridge, his power will keep you persevering all the way to the end. So no believer, no one who's on the bridge should fear, I may not make it. Because that'll immobilize you, that'll discourage you, that'll demotivate your obedience. You should understand, you will make it. Your heaven is secured. You will be there, which is what then fuels and motivates your obedience now. Do you see how that works? Okay, so that's one implication. You don't need to fear falling off. Second implication, because by faith you're on the rope bridge of Jesus, you will always be enabled to obey. No matter how big the temptation no matter how, how much stress you've been under, no matter how tired you are, no matter how difficult the trial, you will always be enabled to obey. This is where all of the excuses we looked at earlier, this is where we kiss them goodbye. Okay? And the reason we will always be enabled to obey is because of verse 13. God works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So no matter how weak you feel, no matter how devastated by a trial, no matter how strong sin's pull is in your heart, if you will look to Jesus and say, help me, help me, I, am, I cannot do this, I cannot handle this, and that's the truth, because you and yourself cannot, but would you help me? He will help you. He will strengthen you. He will give you precious promises from his word that will strengthen your faith. He will pour his Holy Spirit out upon you. He will enable you to endure the trial faithfully, to resist the temptation, to fight against the sin. So, bottom line from this morning's two verses is this. Are you on the bridge? Are you on the bridge? Are you trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord and your treasure? Not how good have you been, but are you trusting Jesus Christ? Are you bringing your life to him and saying, here I am, forgive me, God be merciful to me, a sinner. 
If you are trusting Jesus Christ now, you're on the bridge. Your eternity is secure, and he will enable you to be faithful no matter what trial, no matter what temptation, no matter what difficulty you face. Isn't this a beautiful salvation? Isn't this an amazing Savior? (laughs) Because what did you do? You trusted him. That's what you did. And then he goes to work. He changes you. He saves you. He helps you. We're we're sinful people. All we bring to the table is our sinfulness, and we say, I trust you. If you can do something with this, do it. And he does every time. What a savior. What a salvation. What love. What a future. What a hope we have. What power to live right now. So some of you are really discouraged about your Christian life. Not that I've talked to you, but just group this size. I know it. Let this encourage you. Let this encourage your heart. Look at your future, which is secured in Christ. And look at the power that he promises now.